On this episode of the Big O Podcast, I am joined by Northern Red Knight alumni, Toronto native, and two-time Grey Cup champion, Matt Black. We talk about being drafted in the sixth round by his hometown team, what it was like winning the Grey Cup twice, and the difference between those two teams. Matt cast a movie based on his 2017 championship Argos team. We discuss what it was like being diagnosed with dyslexia in grade two, and his transition into retirement and new position within MLSE. This is the Big O Podcast. everybody for another episode of the big O podcast tonight's guest is a former northern alumni football baseball and multi sports star matt black matt how are you doing today i'm good thanks for having me tonight no thank you for being here uh you know it's not often that we get to uh, have a uh, two-time not one time but two-time mm-hmm. gray cup champion for his hometown toronto argos um, not, not often, you know, you get to be drafted by your hometown team and get to play your entire career, uh, for that team. What, what was that like for you? Oh man, that was, that was a fairy tale right there. Um, I remember sitting in the computer lab at Saginaw Valley and, you know, pressing refresh, refresh, <laughs> finally seeing my name drafted. And then, you know, to, to be able to play my full 10 year career there was, uh, you know, a dream come true, something I'm so grateful for. Now, obviously, you see I have some football jerseys in the back. You've got uh, some New England Patriots and uh, some USC and, and Drew Brees from the New Orleans Saints. Are you an NFL fan? I am. I, I watch some NFL. Um, a couple of my buddies, former uh, DBs that I played with uh, in Toronto, we have a pool. Um, so that's fun. But I'm not like a diehard like one team. I, you know, I'm a fan of the guys that I've played with. So, you know, one guy that I'm rooting for right now is Deontay Spencer down in um, Denver. He's doing his thing, man. So, you know, saw Deontay come up here as a young guy. I know he's developing to a tremendous ball player and really happy for him, you know, to see him uh, living out his dream right now. And it's interesting because, you know, the CFL being the Canadian Football League has, I believe, a minimum amount of Canadians that need to be on each team because, Obviously, we you know we'd love to have a league full of Canadians, but there are some American guys who either have formerly played in the NFL or have gone to JUCO and, and trying to get back into the NFL. What has that been like getting to play with different guys either that you've, well, you didn't actually go to school here, so you didn't even have the Canadian college experience, but what was it like to play with, you know, either Canadians or Americans trying to get to the NFL? It was, uh, you know, it was awesome. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting question because, you know, you get a lot of guys, especially young guys who come up and, you know, they think that this is going to be a cakewalk for them and they're just going to stay up here for, you know, a year and ball out and do all these great things and then be right back down the NFL and they come up here and their eyes are open. They're like, wow, like, you know, these guys are, these guys are playing football, man. It's, you know, it's a little <laughs> bit different, but it's, it's still ball and their talent. So, um, you know, I think I think it's an eye opener for a lot of guys, but it, it's a great it's a great uh, you know it's a great opportunity for guys to come up here and show their talent. And a lot of guys, what I found, a lot of guys fall in love with the CFL pretty quick, man. They they love they love the work life balance that they have. They um, you know, there's a lot of politics down south, and they're you know um, 
you know, they're, they're not a big fan of that. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit more pure up here. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I know a lot of guys that have come up here, man, and they, they have no interest in going back down South. They, not only do they, they love the country, um, you know, they love, they love Toronto, especially that doesn't hurt, you know, that they're living in one of the best cities in the world. Um, sure. So it's, it's really cool to see guys come up here and, and really, you know, adapt to the culture and, and fall in love with it and, and really embrace it. And, um, you know, I had a, an opportunity to play with, was one of my best friends now to this day, Chad Owens, you know, and, you know, he just moved back to Hawaii, but, you know, he loves Canada, you know, he's loved Toronto and, um, you know, he, he's one of those guys that, you know, fell in love with the city and, um, you know, had opportunity to go back, but, you know, chose to, chose to stay here. So, you know, we're grateful for his service and, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's a, it's an interesting perspective when guys come up here and they realize how much fun the Canadian football league really is. For sure. I mean, I grew up in the days of like Damon Allen, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mike Pinball Clemens, Doug Flutie. So guys who, mm-hmm. you know, tasted the life of the NFL and ultimately found their home in the Canadian Football League. I mean, obviously Doug sort of flip-flopped back and he went back to to play in the NFL. And then you hear names more recently like, you know, Johnny Manziel. Uh, mm-hmm. You've had uh, Chad Ochocinco played for, I believe, mm-hmm. Montreal, Montreal for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting. And then you have some guys who do have success in the CFL who then find a home in the NFL mm-hmm. and play. Now, you grew up playing Canadian football. You grew up playing at Northern Secondary and then taking your talents in college to the United States. What was that adjustment like for you going from one set of rules to another? Um, you know, football is football. Um, the, the difference coming from Canada to the United States, uh, you know, the field's smaller. There's an extra down. Uh, the game is is more physical because it's in a tighter confinement of the field. So, you know, you, you, you physically have to move people. So that's why, you know, those interior linemen are so big and, um, you know, those linebackers, you know, are, are, are built like, you know, like nobody's business, man. Those guys are put together, right? Because <laughs> they got to hit people in there. You know, there's For some sure. big boys down there, you know. Um, so that was one of the biggest differences that I noticed coming from Canada to the U S it was just, you know, you have to be a little bit more physical. Um, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta stick it in there sometimes because there's nowhere else to run. Like you can't run around the edge. You just got to go through the guy. So, um, uh, so that was one of the biggest differences. And then also to, you know, the, the seriousness of the game, you know, uh, I'll never forget my, my rookie year. My freshman year of college, we were playing our our in town, basically in town rivals. So Saginaw Valley and Northwood. Northwood's like I don't know, 15, 20 minutes down the down the street from us. So um, big rivalry. Whenever you play them, um, I think it was the first game of the season, and uh, man, we got our butts whooped. <laughs> and my our coach was livid. And I just remember going into film on Sunday after we had our rundown and watching the film and just like, you know, I didn't even play, but I was just sitting there just being embarrassed that, you know, we just got our tails handed to us. And, you know, our coach looked at us and he's like, man, if you guys keep this up, you're, you're going to get me fired. Like, this is my livelihood. This is how I feed my kids, you know? And I was like a, what, an 18, 19 year old kid. And I'm like, 
and it just Damn, it's it, a lot of pressure it was serious it really dawned on me like man this is this is how people this is people's livelihoods this is not for fun anymore this is not a you know this is not a recreation this is like yeah pretty much professional sports they're paying you to go to school here they're giving you a scholarship and they expect you to produce and you know at that point my mentality just really shifted that um you know you're gonna have to work and you have to be as good as you possibly can be so you know that was another big difference that i noticed I remember coming back from the U.S. to Canada. The one thing that I noticed was just the size of the field. Um, you get so right. used to how small that field is, especially playing corner. You know, you can feel the sideline kind of right there. When Canada, the sideline is like way over there. Oh, so yeah. it's, um, you know, I remember the first time coming back and feeling like, oh, man, I got this out route and I'm right on the sideline. And then <laughs> they throw the ball and you're like, this guy threw that ball like way out of bounds. And you look. And the guy's like catching it running down the sideline and you're just sick. Right. And of course the coach told you like, this isn't America no more. The fields, you know, the fields wider and all this stuff. So, you know, that took a couple of weeks to get adjusted to, but you know, you, you adjust to it pretty quickly. And like I said earlier, you know, there's some nuances to the game that are different, you know, the yard being off the ball and, you know, the waggle and, you know, some of the little things like, um, you know, the halo on a punt, but outside of that, like it's, it's X's and O's and it's football. And if you understand your gap, you know, and you understand your assignment and your alignment, um, you know, it comes second nature to most guys pretty quick. Now you come from a fairly like athletic background. Your dad was a sprinter who actually got to, I think, run alongside Ben Johnson at some point. What was it like, you know, with you and obviously your brother who also got to play for the Toronto Argos, what was that like growing up in a household that bred competition and knowing that you sort of had this younger brother that you had to play this role model to? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was really supportive. You know, we we really were very competitive, you know, to say the least. Me and my brother always competing and, uh, you know, I never let him win. And, you know, <laughs> when he beat me, he beat me fair and square and, you know, and, uh, you know, he never let me live it down and stuff like that. So. Um, you know, but it was just really supportive. You know, I remember my parents always at our games and, uh, you know, driving down to Saginaw and going out to visit Eric at St. Mary's and, you know, going to all the high school games and just being really supportive of, you know, our, uh, our athletic ambitions, um, you know, started out for me at ba as baseball and, you know, was traveling all over Southern Ontario every weekend playing baseball and then, you know, morphed into hockey and then eventually grew into, you know, football and a myriad of other sports. But, um, you know, just really supportive. That's what I remember, you know, being really supportive, being there for me and, you know, cheering for me and, you know, um, always seeing them, their faces in the stands. So really fond memories of that for sure. Now I went to Northern same as you and I got the, uh, I had the lovely, you know, ability to go to school with both you and your brother. Uh, Cause I sort of fell in the middle age gap between you guys. And I got to learn the legend of Matt Black when Mr. Gaw was coaching baseball because <laughs> baseball and, and soccer were my two sports. So okay. we always hated the football team because you guys chewed up the field with your like, four hour practices after school and you practice yeah. in the rain and it didn't matter. And our games mm -hmm. were always after school and we never had the pristine field conditions. It was always this, 
especially the junior football team, the junior football team, everyone made it. So there was like, oh, there's 200 <laughs> kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> 200 kids just back running there. back. And, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, that's when I sort of got to hear the, the lore of, of Matt Black. And then what it really sort of hit was when you had the opportunity in 2008 to be drafted. And we were talking a little bit before this, you know, you were back at school when I guess the CFL draft was going on and at Saginaw State. And so what were you feeling when you clicked that refresh button and saw that you were going to be playing the following season for your hometown Toronto Argonauts? Yeah, it was really a interesting perspective, man. So back then the CFL draft was just, you know, there was no like TV coverage or none of that stuff. It was just basically done online and they would teams would call in and then they would update it online. So I was sitting in my, I was sitting in the computer lab. I knew the CFL draft was happening. And, um, you know, there's a, in the NCAA, there's all kinds of rules. Like you can't talk to scouts and you can't talk to all these like professional teams and all these things. And, you know, throughout the season, I know there was, a, you know, quite a few CFL scouts had come down and, you know, my coaches had talked to me, they've given them calls and all this stuff kind of leading up into the draft. And, right. um, you know, you, every week you see scouts from all area scouts from all the NFL teams coming around. And so it's not com- uncommon to see that. Um, and then, you know, uh, a friend of mine somehow, I forget who they were, was connected to a scout from some team and they called me and they're asking me like questions like, would I go to the West and play? And I think it was Edmonton had like two picks back to back or something. And they're like saying that this person was saying that they might take me in those picks or something. And I had no, I was really kind of in the dark and I was, you know, a young kid right. at the time. And, um, <laughs> You know, then I'm like, you know, I'm going to go sit down and watch it. So I go down and I'm sitting there and the first round comes, no name. Second round comes, no name. Third round comes, no name. Fourth round, no name. Fifth round, no name. Now, pretty much like all the DBs on the board have been taken. And I'm looking at these guys like, I know I'm better than this guy. 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 And you know, sixth round comes Toronto's, you know, I think their second last pick um, comes and they select me. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, I I got, at least I got taken, Um, you know, I didn't get taken high, but I know I, I, for, for a fact, I know I'm a better football player than all these people I got taken above me. So I don't know what these guys are doing, but then um, you know, I was in a fortunate situation. I was, I was drafted as a junior. So I had another year in college oh. to play. So, you know, I knew I was coming back for my senior year. So for me, it was kind of un- inconsequential that I was, you know, where I was taken. I was really, really happy that I was taken. Um, right. And, you know, it just, it just gave me like a real sense of focus. I remember, you know, feeling accomplished, but almost feeling, slighted in a way but also feeling you know like i had something to like something bigger to prepare for um so you know i really was focused you know i stayed i was at university i stayed all summer was training working on campus and you know just just really focusing on being a football player and 
you know, just had that in the back of my mind and was, you know, not focused on it, but, you know, knew it was there. And then, um, you know, just really excited. I just remember being really excited and really happy, like, man, of all the places I could have gone, you know, sure, I didn't get taken high, but man, uh, it's Toronto, it's home. Like, I'm going to be right. at home. I'm going to be in front of my friends and family. Like, this is, it can't get any better than this. And, uh, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, it all, it all worked out. And, uh, you know, I came up here in 2009 was my first year after I graduated university and, uh, you know, spent the next 10 seasons playing for the double blue. So, you know, um, I think out of that draft class, I think I was the last DB playing out of all of that draft class, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, uh, I think and of of that draft class, if I'm not mistaken, I think I was the last CF like the last of the Argonauts draft class still in the CFL when I retired. So, you know, I was you know I I played a really I had a lot of fortune, you know, being in Toronto and you know, you know, didn't have very many um, you know career threatening in, injuries and stuff like that. So, on very many levels, you know, I was very very fortunate and uh you know a lot of great coaching um like a lot of great coaching i think i was very very fortunate with the coaches that i had in my career and they're instrumental in you know kind of my development and growth as a player um you know and then you know gms and coaches that believed in me so uh you know very fortunate to you know have been drafted by my hometown team and been able to you know play on my career here and uh you know very very grateful for this organization too for the opportunity they presented me now and you know it's uh you know if i as i look back on it i wouldn't change i wouldn't change a thing i'm glad you know greg mons and adam rita drafted me when they did you know it was the perfect timing and uh uh you know really 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 happy with things the way things planned out so a lot of athletes who get drafted or signed or play professional sports sometimes never reach the pinnacle, never even get to the big game. You were fortunate enough to win two great cups um, and both sort of at different stages of your career. The first one, you're, I think, uh, you're three years in, you win the first great cup in 2012. What was that feeling like, being a relatively new but established football player with the Toronto Argos? What did that great cup mean to you? That one was was really amazing, man. Um, you know, that was an amazing team. Um, you know, when I think of the great cups that I've won, I think about the teams and the bonds that we have and, you know, how everyone's so locked in and dialed in and focused all year long. But that one was really special because, you know, the, the magnitude of the game, you know, it's the 100th great cup in Toronto and, you know, in front of, you know, sold out, you know, a sky dome and, it's uh, I should say Roger Center now, but um, you know, it, it just just an amazing, just just an amazing feeling. You know, I was so kind of like, like it was almost like an out of body experience all all week, Grey Cup week, because right. you know we played in Montreal on on the Sunday, Saturday or Sunday, I forget. We played in Montreal, then we flew home. And then the next day, I believe it was it was Sunday we played, and then we in the East Final beat Montreal, flew home, you know, super excited, you know, getting a million and one calls from family and friends like <laughs> you're going to the Grey Cup, it's at Toronto, it's you know the hundredth, like yada yada yada, and then the next day we had a we had like a 
team meeting real quick and then we got but drove down to downtown for a pep rally and then from there we went into the team hotel so like we were downtown in our own hotel in our own city um you know but like the team was crazy like nobody did anything like the whole week the team was just in there and i just remember it being such like a weird feeling like it was almost like time was moving slower the whole week like everything just felt so methodical and so like you know premeditated yeah it was really weird and then you know i got to the game i i always try to get to games a little bit early because you know i'd like do my game day routine and just be chill and i got to the game a little bit earlier than normal about five hours before kickoff and i just i just wanted to kind of go in and soak up the emotion and kind of get that you know those jitters out of me before before you know the the rigmarole of, of the game day started I remember going down there and, you know, just looking around the stadium and there was already so many people there. And I was like, man, this just feels different. It doesn't feel like a normal game day, you know, and there were so many people getting the field ready and everything, the pomp and circumstance that comes with a Grey Cup game, right? Let alone the 100th Grey Cup game. And, you know, they got Justin Bieber as a halftime show and the prime (laughs) ministers in the house and like all these different things going on left, right and center, so I remember walking out and just seeing all this stuff happening and being like, you know, like, this is what it's about. This is what you've always wanted. Right. And um, so that one was that was a really cool, cool experience, man. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember that team and I remember all those guys on that team and how focused everyone it was. And actually, uh, one of my teammates the other uh, the other day, uh, Etienne Boulay, um, uh, posted a. a a clip from our locker room that year, you know, and, uh, our, you know, I saw that our video. Most, most leaders. Yeah. Um, uh, EJ Quale, man, is, is <laughs> that guy, <laughs> man, that guy, will, that guy, you know, that was, that was a special year, man. That was, a, that was a squad full of goons, man. And everybody came to ride and it was, you know, that was, that was, that was an amazing, amazing year. So, you know, just to see that video again, just brought back a flood of emotions, um, from that year and uh, you know just just remind you of how you know how fortunate you are to have those experiences you see a video like that because like, I, I saw you posted it you see a video like that it reminds you of two things it reminds you one of like buffalo bills mafia like uh, before the game they're just like fired up tables are being thrown everywhere people are going through tables and i can only imagine that like in the locker room after you, you know, you have that sort of like speech and that emotion, that energy, you're ready to run through a wall. You're ready to put it all on the line, leave it all on the field, bleed for your teammates, and ultimately helps rally the team around and win that great cup on home soil. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I do believe I think Rob Ford was our mayor at the time. And he had this blooper where he's down at like Nathan Phillips square trying to like take the ball and he hikes the ball and he like falls backwards. But like, he was like such a, just like a jovial guy. It really like encapsulated the spirit of what Toronto was like during that time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 2012, you obviously, you know, you guys win. It's your first one. And you're never really certain that you're going to make it back to the dance. You know, sometimes you have some great seasons. Sometimes you don't. I mean, injuries, players leaving, players coming in, new coaches, new systems. Nothing is ever guaranteed when it comes to returning back to that. However, 
in 2017, you know, it was a little bit different for you. You're now to war. You're you're more of a veteran on the team. You're a veteran in the CFL, mm-hmm. and you're you're on the the latter part of of your career. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you get released mid season. Mm-hmm. Now you sign back just you know like a week a week or two later. Mm-hmm. What was going through your mind at the time when you get your release from the Toronto Argonauts? What are you thinking at that time? Um, you know, I was just, it was, you know, I was kind of in shock. Um, you know, you kind of, I don't know, it's weird when you're, when you're in that world, you know, you always expect it. Um, you know, you kind of have to, you do yourself an injustice if you don't, uh, you know, you always try to do everything you can so that it doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, it's on a young, talented team, you know, had an injury in camp and, um, you know, when I got healthy, you know, the club made a decision to, uh, you know, go in a different direction. And, um, you know, Coach Tressman was great. He sat me down and, you know, let me know and, you know, went and talked to my coaches and talked to the guys and, you know, you know, started, you know, preparing for, you know, what was next and, you know, see if another team was going to pick me up or if I was, you know, that was going to be the end of the road. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, it was just, it was just, you know, surreal. Like, you know, you start thinking like, this is this it, like, this is the end yeah. here, you know, and I definitely thought that that was the end for me in Toronto, uh, by no stretch of the imagination did I think I was going to be back in Toronto. Um, and then, you know, uh, one of my good friends, um, Jermaine Gabriel, um, you know, had a, had a pretty significant injury and they, they called me back and, uh, you know, the rest is history, man. What's the, what's that conversation like though? Cause I mean, you're a human and you have real emotions and sometimes like we know sports is not just about wins and losses. It's very much a business. And sometimes these kinds of transactions can be very, you know, business-like. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you get released, obviously you're not feeling great. As you said, you know, you didn't think you were going to return back to Toronto, but then ultimately you get that call after just, you know, a short amount of time. You're thinking, okay, I'm moving on to another team. Toronto calls you and says, Hey, you know, please, we want you to come back. You know, we had this injury. What now, what is going through your mind? Yeah, man, I was pretty shocked. So my boy, shout out to my boy, Jay hood, Jonathan hood, me and him were room dogs um, for a few years when we played together. We're still good friends to this day. He uh, took me out to eat. We went to this Buckashuck oyster place and we were watching the Argos game the week after I got cut. And there was, uh, I forget what, it was a long weekend. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to gonna pack up and go to my aunt's house in Kingston and just kick it with her for the long weekend kind of thing. And um, so that night, I forget what it say. It was like a Friday night. We play the game. Um, they play the game. Me and Hood watch the game noticed that Jermaine's not playing, you know, halfway through the game. Like, oh, I wonder what's going on with him. I get up on Saturday morning, whatever day it was, drive down to my aunt's house. While I'm in the car, I get a call from, like, the DB coach. And he's asking me, like, what, what's going on? What am I doing? I'm like, <laughs> dude, like, I'm going to my aunt's house. I'm chilling. <laughs> coach Brackenridge called me, right? And he's – talking to me, asked me what I'm doing and da, 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 da. And would I be, you know, would I, would I want to come back? And I'm like, would I want to come back? I mean, 
you guys just fired me like <laughs> like a week ago. Why the heck are you calling me to come back? You know, and he's like, man, JJ JG got hurt. Jermaine Gable got hurt. He's gonna be on the IR for like four to six weeks or something, you know. And I'm like, wow, well, you know, I mean, you know, tell tell Jim our GM, Jim Pop, to call my agent, you know, and if they can work something out, you know, I'm I'm in town and you know, I'm going to be gone for the weekend, but I could probably be back like say Monday or something. And then I get a call from our defensive coordinator, Corey Chamberlain, like five minutes later. So I knew something was up like, okay, these guys want me. And then, uh, you know, I talked to Chame for a little bit and, uh, you know, I mean, you have to realize too, when you're in this, when you're in this business, like you can't, you really have to take the emotion out of it. You can't let for your sure. your emotion, you know, cloud your judgment. You have to do what's best for you, and you have to understand that there's a lot of difficult decisions that have to be made. You know, rosters are limited. There's specific numbers, and you know, these guys are, you know, they're 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 playing, you know, they're playing a chess game, right? And and yeah. sometimes you fall outside of that lines, and it's a, you know, it's a competitive business, and you know, it's difficult. It's really difficult. And, um, you know, being in my role, you know, you see some of that stuff now and it's tough. Right. But, um, you know, they handled it well. And, you know, I think we, we tried to handle it as well as we could. And, you know, you know, I think, what was it? The Monday, I think that Sunday I came back to Toronto and Monday I showed back up and, you know, it was like, I never left. And, uh, you know, and then the rest was history, man. And then, you know, we were fortunate that year really good year i mean it's interesting because you talked about your coach at at saginaw right and you're saying like listen if you guys play like this i'm gonna get fired and so at the end of the day you know jim pop mark tressman like they're doing what's best for the team because they need to be successful so i mean it's good that you have that wherewithal to understand that it's not always or necessarily a personal decision but trying to do what's best for their team which ultimately means like you know, when, when JG gets injured, Matt Black's the guy, Matt Black's the guy that we know that we need to come back to this team with his veteran leadership and his knowledge of our team to help us be in the best position to win a great cup. And, you know, lo and behold, I mean, you get to experience something that kids, you know, grow up dreaming about. Uh, You get to, you know, when you're with your friends, playing on the baseball diamond it's bottom of the ninth two outs bases loaded grand slam to win a game it's mm-hmm. hockey it's game seven overtime Sidney mm-hmm. crosby in the corner score game seven buzzer beater mm-hmm. for you you know 27 24 mm-hmm. with i just want to make sure i have this right 27 24 eight seconds remaining a ball is thrown into the end zone by mm-hmm. bo levi mitchell a touchdown means Calgary wins the game. But an interception by Toronto's own Matt Black seals the victory and a second great cup champion. Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind? You know, you got cut halfway through the season-ish. You didn't know if you were going to play again in Toronto. You have an injury in camp, so you're not exactly starting the season off on the best foot but you get to seal the deal for Toronto to bring home another great cup Toronto guy. What are you feeling as that like confetti is falling as your team is jumping on you? Cause you know, the game is over and you guys trailed 
in that fourth quarter. You yeah. guys just go up and you seal the deal for another championship for Toronto. What's going through your mind? Man, it's crazy. Um, it's 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 weird because you know that you're 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 so trained to kind of be focused and be like locked in that you know you understand like the game's not over yet so you can't really you know get too excited um you know I just I just remember you know when the ball went up thinking you know you just when the when the football's in here you know like if you have an opportunity at it you know thinking yeah. as well like I have an opportunity at this you know and I see the Calgary color so I know it's coming this way and and you know don't get a PI call in the end zone and and all these things go through my mind and I got the ball and I thought I was down. There's so much noise. You don't know. And then yeah. I realized, you know, the ref is, doesn't look like it's down. He's kind of like running. So, you know, then I try to veer out of bounds and, you know, the team is going nuts. I see our team on this, on the, on the field pretty much at that point yeah. in time. And, you know, and then I look up at the clock and I realize there's some time left. And, you know, then I hear that, you know, I hear I hear Tress and I hear those guys, you know, calling for a victory formation. And then, you know, then you can kind of breathe that sigh of relief like, wow, you know, like you like we're, we're there. You know, the first things I thought about, you know, you know. You know, you think about your teammates and, you know, that night there was, you know, I was I was the last guy to make a play. You know, that night yeah. we had so many guys that balled out, you know, um, that made some tremendous ball plays. You look at that bomb Ricky Ray threw to to Devere Posey down the sideline. You know, Posey had another great catch where he, you know, he knifes it right up in the middle of that of the, the Calgary defense, gets us down close to their goal line. You know, SJ had a big first down catch when we needed it. You know, Ricky gets out the pocket and converts, um, converts uh you know, it's, it's essentially a broken play. He finds um, Declan Cross in the end zone for the two-point conversion. Liram Hyrelaw, who knocks down, like, you know, a long field goal for us. You know, and then you see that 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 um, that fumble recovery. You know, JG, the week before, um, you know, kind of gave up a little bit on a play. And Coach Chain, you know, you know, called him out in front of the group. And, you know, JG got up off, off the ground, man, and, you know, ripped that guy's arm back, you know, to expose yep. the ball. You know, our D tackle, Cleon Lang, comes running from whatever, 35 yards away, you know, puts his face mask right on the football that, you know, JG is exposed. He drops it out. Cassius Vaughn is at the back of the end zone, maybe 40 yards away from that ball and is running his tail off the whole time, um, you know, picks that ball up probably the one of the fastest guys on the team that day and, you know, just picks it up and takes it off, man. It takes off. So, you know, you have, you know, Sean Lemon following him down the field, escorting him in, you know, I mean, heck our equipment manager brought like a whole second trunk of cleats for guys. You know, we had guys change yeah. cleats at halftime, right? Like this is stuff of legend that, that happened that night, you know, with, with the snow and all these things. So, Oh yeah. You know, by no means, you know, was that on me. There was, we had, you know, there was guys that made countless, countless plays that night to, uh, you know, to get us in that position to win that ball game. And, and that's what, that's really kind of what just was flooding through my mind. You know, I just look at guys like Marcus Ball, you know, guys that I won a championship with in 2012 and Chris Van Zyl and, you know, guys like Rico Murray, who I think had been to three Grey Cups and never won. Um, you know, he's getting his first championship, Johnny Sears, um, 
you know, Matt Webster, Jermaine Gabriel, um, you know, Toronto guys that this is their first time there, you know, Levi Noel and, and Jamal Campbell, um, you know, Ricky, like Ricky running his fourth Grey cup, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, just seeing all these guys and all their emotion and just understanding everything that we've gone through that year was so special because that year really was, you know, it was a lot different than, than, than 2012. We didn't have no, the pressure of a great cup at home. There wasn't this, Oh, this is the favorites. This was essentially like a cast of misfits, right? Like we had guys coming from all over the place. We had coach Tressman coming back to the CFL. Jim Pop had just been let go in Montreal, comes over to Toronto. Um, you know, we had a we had a rough year the year before. You know, there was a lot of changes on our roster. You know, Marcus Ball is back in town. Um, you know, we just we just had like a an amazing roster. You know, that year we picked up a guy, Mitch White, awesome DB, you know, brought so much to that room, come come through this the uh, midway through the season and fit into that room and to, you know, bring what he brought to the table. You know, um, we had a lot of young coaches, you know, coach Chamberlain came back, you know, coming back into the CFL that year, you know, coach Brackeridge, you know, Tyron Brackeridge who had played in Saskatchewan his first year coaching. Um, you know, we just, we just had, it was just like a, a big collection of misfits, man. And nobody really gave us a shot. Like, Oh, this is Toronto, whatever. Da, 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 da. And, you know, we went on that run, like we took our L's all year and we didn't, they weren't losses, they were lessons. We learned something, you know, Coach Trestman talked about building backbone and what it's going to take week after week after week for us to get to where we want to get to. And we slowly, you know, built that layer of thick skin. And when it came down to, you know, I'll never forget, I'll never forget this, man. Like we really believed in our hearts that we were going to win that game. And that's what I remember for 2012 too. Like those games for me, they were won before we even step on the field. Um, we played in 2012, you know, that team, when we left that locker room, we knew we were going to win that game. And I got the same feeling that I got in my gut in 2012, the night before the 2017 Grey Cup. You know, wow. we, we did a highlight video before every game. Our video dude, John Magri, puts – puts mashes up after you win he puts together all highlight of all the of all the great plays from the week before and you play for the team in the team meeting the night before the the following game so he did one for the whole season man um him and our and our video guy at the time uh, a couple of them they all teamed up and did this dope video and it's just a hair on my neck stood up man and marcus ball you know that guy i love that dude man to the day i die i love marcus ball man he uh he just stood up and he's such an emotional dude, man. He just let his emotion out, man. And that feeling just came over me. And at that point, I said, man, this team's going to win a great cup. And, you know, we got up the next morning. And, you know, our coaches told us point blank. They said, Coach Tresman said, um, keep this game close. This, is, this game is going to be won in the last three minutes. If we keep them within one score or within striking range in the last three minutes, we're going to win this game. And that's what we did, man. And that's exactly what we did. And we just executed. So, you know, none of this stuff is not by accident. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. It's not dumb luck. You know, everything is calculated and everything is, you know, it's, it's envisioned in your head before it happens. And, you know, I just feel to a man that in those rooms, like we believe those on those two nights, we just believe that we were going to win those games. And, 
you know, we did what we had to do and, and, it, and the, you know, the, the chips fall, you know, fell in our, in our favor, but, you know, really just, you just think about those things, man. It's just, it's crazy surreal when you, when you, when you, when I look back at it now, you know, just a couple years removed, you know, how, how amazing that team was and, you know, how resilient we were and how many guys stepped up to make plays when we needed it the most. Man, Matt, Matt Black, one of the most humble people I've ever talked to. I mean, I asked you the feeling of catching that interception and you basically ran down why your team was successful from the media guys putting together video to each individual player as they made plays throughout the game, which is absolutely incredible. I mean, listen, you summed up your season, your game, everything very, very well. Now I'm going to flip it just a little bit. So yeah. it, let's say in 2022, okay, there is going to be a movie made on the 2017 CFL Great Cup champion Toronto Argos, and you have to cast three people to play some roles. Now I'm going to cast Mark Tressman as Billy Bob Thornton. Okay, okay. Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> is playing Mark Tressman. Um, oh, so man. what I want you to do, I want you to cast who's Jeez. going to play Ricky Ray, who is going to cast another instrumental player from the game. I'm going to let you choose who that player is. Yeah. And then I want you to tell me who I'm telling you right now is Man. the lead of this movie. Who is playing Matt Black? Okay. So you can't now say you're going to be some tertiary character. You are the star of this film. Cause we're going to talk about getting cut the injuries. Oh gosh. I mean, we're going to get, we're going to get to the promise you made to Ava in a second as yeah. well. And so, you know, who is, who's playing Ricky Ray? Who's playing the player of your choice and who is ultimately playing Matt Black? Man, so I'm not good with movie with movie actors. I don't know <laughs> names. I just I kind of recognize faces. So man, you're gonna have to help me out with this one. But Ricky sure. Gray. So Ricky, Ricky's an awesome dude, man. Ricky, Ricky comes off as like pretty dry, and he's got a dry sense of yeah. humor, but he's really funny. And okay. he's like a reserve kind of guy but he's hilarious. Like Ricky will drop little one-liners and crack up the whole entire room. And no one, people will be like, who said that? And then you look behind you and he's like, Oh, that, that was, that was Ricky. And like, you know, like he's, and he's an awesome dude. He's a really, really awesome dude. And he's funny. So, you know, it's going to have to be someone who's kind of like quiet, but like slick at the same time, because, uh, um, you know, that's Rick. Like he's quiet, but he's, you know, he's humble, but he's slick guy. Um, okay. I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, okay, move to the second player. I'll think about yeah. who I then think might be a good, uh, Ricky Ray. The second player, um, I'm going to go with who am i gonna go with man there's a few guys that we could go with um let's do who was funny that year we, gotta, we yeah have we, need, we need we need a comedian we need, we need a, a comedian, comedian. um yeah cassius vaughn man he was a hilarious dude so cassius okay. is like a dude from the south man went to went to old miss and he was like the, you know, he's like the de facto, like old uncle on the team. And, you know, he always kept it real. He didn't care. He was brash. He's going to tell it how it was. 
if you messed up, man, you know you're going to hear from Cash, but it's coming from a good place. And he's, um, you know, he's got a big heart, right? And he's always, um, you know, always looking out for the best of us, but always held us. He always held our feet to the fire and held us to a high standard. Um, Oh, man, that's (laughs) tough, man. So I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Ryan Reynolds for Ricky Ray. Okay. Just because you get that you'll get a little dry. I mean, yeah. it's gonna be a little bit comedic. Yeah. Gonna get some of that Canadian content, but he's a big enough star that you believe he's you know the starting quarterback who's a little bit you know long in the tooth because he's been around. Yeah. Like you said, this is his fourth, his second with the Argos. I think he went yeah. two with Edmonton, with the Edmonton yeah. Eskimos. That's okay, a good so one. We, That's a good one. I think I think I think Ryan Reynolds could get into a Ricky yeah. Ray character for sure. I, th- I think that one could be Perfect. pulled out. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, and I feel bad for for forgetting his name. And I'm and I'm horrible with this with movies. Um, Give me a movie the guy's in. And um, try to break the, it the, down. the gentleman that just passed away that was in. Um, oh, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman, man. I think I think Chadwick. One, I think Chadwick could pull off a Cassius Vaughn, man. And um, interesting, you know, like-minded, you know, very, um, you know, strong-willed. Um, but I think I think Chadwick could pull off a could pull off a Cassius for sure. Okay, and now I'm going to take Matt because I've been thinking about this, and it's funny that you say Chadwick Boseman. Because the character who's playing Matt Black in the 2022 uh, movie about the Toronto Argonauts winning the Grey Cup, I actually have is Michael B. Jordan, who's got that connection to Chadwick Boseman. Okay. And I think, I mean, he's got a little bit of football in him because I'm pretty sure he was in Friday Night Lights. I could Mm -hmm. be wrong about that, but he's, he's got that athletic build, but he's got that, you know... He gets injured. He's mm-hmm. got the kid. He's got that redemption, mm-hmm. and he's got that sort of stoicness that I believe you showcased after you catch that ball, where you said, you know, you don't even react emotionally. You're just thinking, there's still time on the clock left. I did what mm-hmm. I had to do. Now let's just go close this thing out. So mm-hmm. there's there's your movie. We got okay. Billy Bob Thornton as Mark Tressman. We got Ryan Reynolds as Ricky Ray. Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> As Vaughn, and then you got Michael. The cash is Vaughn. Then you got Michael B. Jordan playing the star of the movie. No star, man. But that's a that's a good lineup right there. But I'll go see that thing. (laughs) There we go. We have unlimited budget. We're bringing everybody. That's it. Get your popcorn. Butter. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) Now I mentioned this earlier, and you know, Mm -hmm. I thought when I was reading the story behind it, I thought this is pretty pretty cool. Now Mm -hmm. the video of you, you know, you win the Grey Cup. You have this incredible moment where it's your time to hold the trophy, but you don't actually like pick up the trophy. Mm-hmm. You you give the trophy a kiss and you give your daughter a kiss and you made a promise to Ava, your daughter. I think it was what prior to the season starting. Mm-hmm. Can you enlighten us as to what that promise was? Man, you know, it was it was more just like a conversation, right? We were having a conversation and um you know, I think every year a dad, you know how it is, you know, it's you, you yeah. got a daughter and, you know, you say like, she says she wants something, she wants a pony, you're like, okay, I will get you a pony, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just, we were just having a conversation and, you know, she saw some pictures, I think, of the Grey Cup and, um, and saw it and, you know, she had been around football her whole life and, 
And, uh, you know, said like, oh, daddy, I want the great cup. I want you to bring home the great cup again. And I said, okay, you know, don't worry. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it home. Like I'll bring it home for you. Don't worry. <laughs> You know, like I said, well, we got to win it. Well, she's like, well, you got to win it. I'm like, okay, well, then we got to win it, right? Like, so, it's done. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do that. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate that, you know, we, we were able to make that, that uh, you know, conversation turn into reality. And, I mean, like you said, you know, every every kid looks to their, their parent as a superhero, right? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you know, when you want to make your kid proud, you wear that S on your chest. And <laughs> this is really reminiscent of what happened the year prior. So in 2016, you are the recipient of the CFL's uh, Jack Godard. Godard, how do you say it? Jake Godard. Jake Godard. Yeah. Okay. As a part, uh, in particular, the, the, the criteria is, you know, courage, uh, camaraderie, perseverance, contribution to Canadian communities. And so... Okay. You know, you really want to, I want to focus on two things here, courage and perseverance. So people see the glitz and the glamour. And if they don't exactly know you, they don't know the kind of trials and tribulations that you have to go through. And so, you know, it's estimated that 15 to 20% of our country's population have, has dyslexia. And so that roughly, that's about 5 million Canadians. And so you've talked about being diagnosed at the age, uh, sorry, when you were in grade two and the stigma that came along with it. Mm-hmm. And so obviously it took courage to be able to talk about that, have it affect you as, and hold on to it as you're growing up. But what was your support system like both at home and at school? And what did you take away from that experience to help you become both successful in academics as well in sports? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing because, you know, that diagnosis, you know, changes your life. And, uh, you know, I owe a lot of credit, debt of gratitude, um, you know, to my mom in particular, you know, she really, um, you know, she did a lot for me. She did a lot. She, um, you know, she was an advocate for me. She fought for me, um, you know, to have access to resources um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, you know, why I got into Northern was because, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the special ed program that they had was, you know, one of the best and she did some research and she wanted me to, you know, have a good access to, you know, good teachers and to good resources and, you know, push myself. And, you know, that's how I really, you know, she went to bat for me to get to open those doors because I, and I grew up at Jarvis and Dundas, like my home school was Jarvis Collegiate, right? So I really had no right. business up there. And, you know, somehow, some way she she did what she had to do to get me, you know, into the best possible situation. And she did that for, you know, her whole life, you know, and um, oh, big debt of gratitude to her for that. She, um, you know, that woman that woman single-handedly changed the trajectory of my life by a, a lot of the decisions that she made. And, um, you know, forever, forever grateful for that. Um, you know, and the support system that I had was, you know, it just, it just told me, you know, Tommy resilience, it taught me, you know, the value of hard work and, um, you know, what you can accomplish with hard work and dedication. And, you know, um, I don't think I would be, 
I would have played a 10 year CFL career. I wouldn't have played professional sports had I not been diagnosed with dyslexia. And I was just a regular kid, you know, that learning came easy to, and all these things in life came easy to, because, um, you know, I just, I couldn't quit. Right. I couldn't quit. Quitting was, you know, giving up on myself. So, you know, that wasn't an option. So, um, you know, I, I, for a long time, I, you know, I hated, hated the fact that I had this, that struggle and, you know, really thought bad about myself because of it. And, you know, thought there was something wrong with me. And, you know, I, you know, I had a lot of negative thoughts about myself, you know, and as I grew older and, you know, realized that, you know, it wasn't my fault and, you know, it was just, you know, something that I had to deal with and that everyone has stuff that they have to deal with. Um, you know, I started realizing that, you know, my work ethic, you know, was, was something that separated me from everyone because I just had to work so hard just to learn to read and write at, you know, a proficient right. level um, that, you know, when most people were past that stage, I was still going through it. So, right. you know, it just, it just translated to everything in my life. You know, the persistence just was there and it just made me, you know, kind of relentless at getting what I wanted out of life. And, really it changed my perspective on life like there's really nothing that is out of my realm now because of the things and experiences that I've had that you know if I want something there's a way to get there there's a way to make it happen and it's just a matter of you know finding that right mix of hard work and persistence and time and dedicating enough time to it and um, you know so for me you know that diagnosis you know it's the one point in time it was, it was horrible, but you know, now it's, you know, it's, it's, I look back on it and I'm, you know, so grateful for, you know, for having this and for the lessons that it's taught me and the doors that it's opened for me. And, um, you know, I just encourage anyone that's dealing with, you know, any kind of struggles, you know, be persistent, be patient and don't quit on yourself. You know, it'll, you know, it will get better. Um, and, you know, to all those teachers that I had, you know, over the course of my, elementary school and high school and you know university and all those things that that helped me through this like you know so grateful for for everyone that you know did so much for me and you know it's uh you know teachers are special people man and um you know they do a lot and uh you know there were some people you know I remember in elementary school there was a teacher that stayed like every day after school with me just you know do extra work on my reading and writing um you know all the way up all the way through elementary school, you know, like all the way to grade eight and stuff like that. So it was, it was a labor of love for me from a lot of different people. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful. So, um, you know, that's part of why I, I, I try to give back as much as I can, because so many people, you know, on my sports journey gave to me volunteer time. It did so much for me. And then, you know, in my extended community, so many people in my life have done so much for me that I, I feel it's only right to, you know, turn around and give back what I can. Now, I mean, you mentioned your mom obviously going to bat for you, right? Being your biggest advocate. And as a parent now, I'm sure you can see, you know, if if you ever had to experience anything like that. But even even if you don't, I mean, just always being your child's advocate and, and understanding that with the support systems put in place, your child can, can achieve anything, whether mm-hmm. it's becoming a doctor or professional or being able to just catch up on something that they're a little bit behind on. And the saying is that it takes a village. And in your case, I mean, you're talking about it. You're talking about your mom, talking about your teachers. 
And then there's another person who also played an instrumental part in your life. Maybe not so much in academics, but when it comes to your football, uh, Coach Prisco. Mm. Right? And so, obviously, he's one of your mentors. Mm -hmm. What impact did he have on your football career? And how are you paying it forward now to the next generation? Man, Coach Prisco, man, that's a that's a that's a special guy. Um, <laughs> wow, man, he's uh, you know we still talk to this day. He's someone that I'm always going to be in contact with. Um, the one thing that I'm so grateful for for Coach Prisco, he always keeps it real, man. He he's very blunt, he's straightforward, man, and he tells you, you know, in life, the one thing that I've learned, and he really showed me this: uh, you need people around you that tell you what you need to hear, not always what you want to hear. And, right. um, you know, coach does that and he does that in a good way, man. And he's, uh, he's been there for me so many times when I needed it the most. Um, you know, I'm so grateful for, I'm so grateful for our friendship. I can't tell you how grateful I am for that friendship that we've had. And, you know, it started on the football field. Exactly. Like you said, you know, he saw something in me, he saw some tenacity, he saw some grit in me. And he fueled it, you know, he pushed me forward and he gave me, um, you know, big hopes and dreams. And he told me, you know, that I could get a scholarship to do this. And, you know, I believed him and I just ran with it, you know, and, you know, I was fortunate to get one. And, um, you know, he coached me at uh, Toronto Wildcats. He coached me at Northern, um, you know, and heck, he still coaches me now in life. You know, I call him <laughs> for advice and, you know, we chat every once in a while, man, but um you know, I just called him the other day. So, Coach, if you hear this, show me a callback, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he's, I, though, you know, like my legacy of great coaches, you know, really starts with him, um, you know, uh, in, on the football field. Uh, without coaches, you know, they're, you know, players, you know, players struggle, right? They, they need people that will lead them, will push them and will, you know, guide them you know, in the right direction, you know, and empower them to make the, you know, those investments in their own career and their own future. And, and, you know, he did all of that and really laid a solid foundation for me and, you know, gave me the, you know, the right perspective on sports and, you know, how to kind of, you know, approach it and, and how to, you know, try to maximize this game for what it's worth and, and, um, you know, uh, you know, enjoy it while you're, while you're at it, you know, and, I'm so grateful to have that as, as, as the, you know, my, my starting point um, because it kind of spread throughout my career. So, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about coach John Prisco, man. And uh, you know, the things that he's done for me. Now you do get back. I mean, you were part of the jumpstart, the Canadian tire jumpstart program and yeah. launchpad. I mean, there's a laundry list of the organizations that you have helped, which ultimately helped let you win the 2016 uh, award because it has to do with, you know, your help in the Canadian communities. Now yeah. I know we're tight on time. So I want to ask you one last question. Go ahead, man. We can, here. we can keep going. Don't worry. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> now you, you retired, right? So yep. you retired. Uh, you were fortunate enough to take a position with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment as a player relation advisor and football operations assistant. Mm -hmm. What has that transition been like? And how do you like your new role? And as well as how has COVID sort of affected the job that you do right now? Yeah, man. So I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, MLC has been awesome. I got a series of great bosses, like, you know, super experienced, knowledgeable people on the business of sport. And I'm learning that. And, uh, you know, they, uh, 
they threw me in that thing head first, man. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> they threw me in that thing head first and they, they put a lot on my plate and, uh, you know, see what I do well. And, you know, they've been really giving me an amazing amount of autonomy and, um, opportunity really like they've exposed me to all kinds of different facets of the business and uh, uh really bad have been fortunate to carve out you know a niche and you know you know starting with our president bill manning he's does an amazing job of you know leading from the front and um you know i've had a some great conversations with him as a player and you know when i was exiting the game and um you know you know help you know me with this role and um, you know, now with our, our GM, with Pinball Clem, Michael Pinball Clemens, it's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother like kettle of fish and amazing like experience, you know, working with a guy like him and, uh, you know, so, so intelligent, so thoughtful, um, but, you know, very calculated and very, oh, yes. very, um, I got to say this right, like very meticulous in his in his intentions, right? He's very right. intentional. Um, the things that he does are not by mistake. And it's, you know, it's it might take some time to really see what he's doing, but when you do, you're just like, ah, oh, I get it now, right? And it's, right. Um, you know, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome working for him, you know, not only him being, you know, the legend that he is on the field, but, you know, the individual and, you know, seeing what he does with his life and how, how tremendously busy that man is, right? Like he's yeah, just endlessly busy and, you know, uh, he makes time for us and, you know, so that, that's a very motivational in its own, um, you know, and then, you know, really getting a lot of exposure on the business side as well, you know, with our, um, with uh, Chris Schufelt and, you know, his team and, you know, and understanding and learning the inner workings of this business and, you know, how we're going to, you know, change this thing and turn this thing around in this market. And, uh, you know, so getting, getting involved in all these different aspects has been so fun and so exciting and so awesome. Um, you know, I, I get to work with our amazing community team and, you know, Julia Donardo and, you know, all the amazing work that she does in our community. So it's, it's like, I'm working, but I don't really feel like I'm working because I'm just doing more right. of what I was doing, except I'm not playing anymore. So I still get to gotcha. kick in with the guys in the locker room and hang out. <laughs> you know, I'm not in the training room anymore, so I'm happy about that. But, you know, I get to help <laughs> these guys, you know, off the field and really, um, you know, dive into some community stuff with them and get out. We've, you know, set up some great visits at um, um, Holland Bloor View and, you know, some you know, Thanksgiving stuff, you know, so get to do that side of things as well. Um, still get to work with the Huddle Up program and um, Jason Claro and, you know, help them out. So that's amazing. But then also get to, you know, dive into this new space that, you know, where my passion is, which is on the business side of things. And, you know, um, you know, just start learning that and understanding that and wrapping my head around that and, you know, how we can, you know, get more fans out to the, to the, to the games and, you know, what we need to do, you know, to turn this thing around. And, um, you know, I think step one is, you know, this new coach that we've hired, you know, um, Ryan Dinwiddie, you know, is an amazing guy, you know, see his work ethic and see him in there early with the coaching staff and, you know, just the, the, the dynamic that they have and the relationship that, that, 
relationship that they have as, as a team. Um, it's amazing. Right. And, uh, you can tell that they're already friends and they, you know, they kick it like friends, like, like it's kind of like a, a mini locker room almost. Right. So, right. um, but they work, man, those guys work. Right. And, uh, that's the important thing is that they're all on the same page and that's what it feels like. So that gives me a lot of excitement, you know, and, you know, when we start winning some ball games, um, you know, it's going to make it a lot easier for the folks on the business side. And, you know, those guys and, and gals at MLC are, are really good at doing what they do, right? They've, you know, they've turned, you know, the Toronto Raptors organization into what it is today. You know, they've turned, um, you know, the Toronto FC into what it is today, you know, and, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, they have a long lineage of, you know, of great success. So, you know, really just to be in that environment and learning from all these bright minds is, is, is absolutely, you know, it's, uh, you know, you feel like the world's your oyster. So, you know, I'm soaking it up, man. And, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's good days and there's bad days and there's, you know, things that, you know, I've never experienced and they're putting me in charge of or asked me to do this and, you know, but it, it's really exciting and I'm, I'm really, I'm really loving it. So, you know, to the latter part of your question about how COVID has changed things, you know, COVID has probably hit the CFL harder than, you know, just about any other sports uh, uh, sports league. Um, you know, as you know, you know, the season, unfortunately, has been canceled. But, um, you know, the work hasn't stopped. And, uh, you know, right. through the leadership of MLSC, you know, you see with, you know, it's an interesting organization because we have four sports properties, right? Um, and all the seasons have been impacted in some way, shape or form by this. But, of course. you know, it's like things didn't stop. They kind of took a moment to, you know, evaluate, like, how do we move forward? And then they, you know, the thing just keeps marching on. So, you know, they've kept us busy. That's for sure. Um, you know, we had our players back in the gym uh, the beginning of June. So I spent some time working with the MLC task force to, uh, you know, help reopen the facility and make sure that guys were healthy and safe. Uh, you know, they implemented really strict safety protocols. Our, our guys have to, you know, jump through hoops every morning before they come into the gym, uh, fill out a form, you know, a bunch of temperature, taking their temperature twice before they even get into the building. Um, and they have to fill out a pretty detailed questionnaire and affidavit every day. Um, you know, the, the facility is cleaned after every group of four guys comes in. Uh, you know, top to bottom. So, you know, just being in charge of that and understanding all the inner workings of that and making sure that we're, um, you know, abiding by all the public health uh, and safety protocol, you know, was was a big task. It's something that I had no um, prior experience with, but, you know, they had a great task force that we could lean on and, um, you know, with our head athletic therapist and myself and a couple other people, you know, we, we you know, we, we dug in and all leaned in and, and got that open for the guys. And, you um, you know, we did, we did, you know, we, we just try to make the most out of this. So we dropped off, I think something somewhere in the neighborhood of 3000 pounds of weights to our players during the lockdown. So um, a bunch of trips out with, uh, with, you know, pretty much took all of our weight room out and, and deliver hand delivered it to all these guys, dropped it off on their front porch, uh, you know, all over Southern Ontario to, to make sure these guys wow. could stay in shape during the off season, you know, when, when everything was kind of still in stage one and, you know, I'm talking early March and April before the facility opened. Um, so, you know, we, just because we weren't playing, we were still, you know, behind the scenes doing everything that we could. And, you know, that kind of comes from, you know, pinball's guidance, you know, it's just, you know, being methodical and being, you know, uh, you know, really intentional in what we do. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, our players that were in market had the best opportunity to be successful should there be a season. You know, unfortunately there wasn't, but, 
you know, our, our facility is still open to these guys. So they have access to it. Um, we're just trying to ensure that our players are in the best possible shape that they can be in so that, uh, you know, this, this time isn't, uh, you know, uh, a negative, you know, this is, right. I think, you know, there's, there's two ways to look at this. This could be unfortunate or it could be, you know, it could buy guys some time, you know, all of our, you, know, you look at Matt Nichols, he's coming off a of shoulder surgery. Like this guy's shoulder is going to be 110% when he comes back to throw footballs. Right. So I think if we take this time and we, you know, we're, we're productive with it and we, we, um, we make the most of it and we just keep our head down and we just put, keep putting one foot in front of the other, you know, when things kind of settle down, I think uh, we'll be able to pick up right where we want to, where we feel we left off from, um, you know, and I think that comes from our leaders, from Bill, from Michael and from Ryan, you know, they, they, these guys just, they just are consistent and they just, they just keep working. And, you know, that's the trend that we follow. And I think when you, when you have that, you know, that, that type of leadership, it makes it easy to do your job and it makes it easy to do your job at a high level. So, uh, you know, again, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to, you know, to have great leaders and great coaches and great mentors along my journey. And, uh, you know, where I'm at right now, it's, just, it's the same story. Man, that dad positivity, there is still work to be done. Yes. I love it. <laughs> uh, listen, Matt, it's uh, it was been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, I really yeah. enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, you know, listen, good luck to you. You had a storied career and uh, it sounds like, you know, you, you're doing amazing things with MLSE right now and, and still learning. And we really do hope that, you know, the Toronto Argonauts return to glory. And I'm sure under, you know, management under Manning and, and Michael Pinball Clemens and, you know, even the hard work that you said that, you know, you and the rest of your team do, you know, we're looking forward to Toronto returning back to glory. So thank you again for your time today. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, and that's it, you know, from, from the host of your big old podcast, I'm Julian Ortiz. Thank you for watching and listening. Have a great night, everybody.